Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Um, if you get your Bibles out, we'll turn to Luke chapter 15. Chapter, we're looking at verses 11 through 32, the prodigal son. Uh, I just want to thank Pastor Keith for this opportunity to come and preach God's Word today. This is such a great honor. And um, thank you for the opportunity also. Um, as Pastor Keith said, I grew up in a church. I think I started coming in about 7th, eight, 8th grade and came up through high school here. And God's really, really, really blessed me through this church. And I appreciate all that y'all have done to get me to where I am now. And just preaching God's grace and praying for me and all that, I really, really appreciate it. All right. Um, let's look at these verses, starting in um, verse 11. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And we had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the paws that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you, against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his son was in the field, his older son, and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in his father. So his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. He gave to him and said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that, my, all that is mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this son, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now he's found. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for revealing your, yourself through your word, God. God, we pray that you would move today, God. That you would show up here, God. That you would speak through your word today. God, I pray that this would not be about me coming home and preaching at my home church, but about you being glorified here, God. God, please break hearts, God, and lead us to repentance. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, give a little context of what's going on here when Jesus starts um, telling this parable. Jesus' popularity is growing quickly among the, the outcasts and the sinners. 
very quickly. Crowds are gathering around him everywhere he goes. In this instance, in verse 1 of chapter 15, we see that um, Luke tells us that around this day, there are two groups of people there. There's one group, there's the tax collectors, and the sinners are the people who, you know, the outcasts, the bad people, as we like to call them. Um, and these are the people that mostly, some of them are probably Jews, and they rejected their Jewish heritage and gone living their own life in order to gain wealth from the Romans and to be, you know, to be accepted, to have big houses, to have money, to have anything that you want. So they had rejected this Judaism and all that kind of stuff in order to do that, in order to do that. And these people were really attracted to Jesus because of what he taught. Then we had the Pharisees, who are the elite teachers of the time. These guys were smart. By the age of 13, a Pharisee had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. By the, age, by the time they got into their 20s, they had the entire Old Testament memorized. Because these are smart men who knew the law. And because they knew the law, they were the men that enforced the law. See, they thought that the reason the Messiah hadn't come is because people weren't following the law. So they tried to enforce the law on everybody. So you had these rebellers against the law. And then you had these teachers of the law here in the same area. And Jesus begins telling this parable. And it's a parable that's going to rock the Pharisees' world. It's going to blow up their worldview. In this parable, we have the father who represents God. He's loving, he's gracious, he shows grace to his younger son. We have the younger son who represents the tax collectors and the sinners, the people who rebelled against him and done their own thing, you know. And um, the older son who represents the Pharisees, the law, the ones who always did what's right. The verse says, he never disobeyed the father. He followed every law and every rule to the T. We have these three sons. And when we teach in these verses, when you've heard these verses taught in Sunday school, usually at least myself, and you always focus on the younger son. But today we're going to spend time on the younger son, but we're really going to look at the older son. And we're going to look at how the younger son in his life shows us the gospel, but the older son shows us what religion looks like. So in this story, we have the son who rebels against his dad, comes back, and his dad throws him this huge party. I'm not talking five-year-old birthday party at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A. I'm talking super sweet 16, big-time party. I mean, the biggest party you can imagine. And all the people from all the town probably came. They ate this fat cat. And they're just having an awesome time. Because this son that was lost is now found. And this is just a perfect picture of what the gospel is. God is saying, Jesus is saying here, look. This guy, he ran away from God. He disobeyed all the rules. He did everything you're not supposed to do. But he realized that, and he repented. He turned. He said, he realized that he was a sinner and that he needed to go back home. Needed to go back to God. So he repented and turned back home. And when he turned back home, God wasn't standing over here like this, waiting on him to walk to him. God, the Father, was running toward him. And it's the same way in our lives. We've all run. We've all, you know, done things we shouldn't have done. And God has, God with his grace, when we recognize that we need him, we turn toward him. He runs toward us. It's not about anything that we did to run away from God that's going to hinder us from getting back. And it's not anything that we do that gets us back. God runs to us. And he restores us as sons and daughters. His son took all of his inheritance. And usually... If he took his inheritance, then he would owe his dad money. So in order to be a son back in this time, 
back to be a son. He would have to work to pay his dad back. But his dad said, doesn't even mention that. He says, welcome back, my son. This is a perfect picture of the gospel and what it looks like. And then we have the older brother, who is the good guy. He, uh, he follows all the rules, always does his rights in church every Sunday, in small groups, he teaches Sunday school, plays in the worship band, all that kind of stuff. He follows all the rules. He does everything good. He doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, he doesn't do any of that kind of bad stuff. But what we see in these verses, we see that the older son is just as lost as the younger son. We see that we see in the younger son that he really doesn't want his dad. He really doesn't want God. He just wants the things that God can give him. He wants his money and his things. And then we have this older son, and we realize he's exactly the same way. He really doesn't want God. The reason he's following the rules is not so he can be with his dad and make his dad happy or anything like that. The reason he wants to follow the rules is because he wants to get the guy, he wants to get his dad's money. They're both lost. This is really a story of not one prodigal son, but of two lost sons. And how one came back to his father and received the gospel of grace, and the other one, he just leaves it wide open. We really don't know what the older son does. So we have these two lost sons. So let's look at the younger son. The younger son says, I am the only one who can decide what is right or wrong for me, and I'm going to live as I want to and find my true self and happiness my own way. These people, as I said earlier, are usually the bad people. The people who are out doing their own thing, don't want anything to do with God, the church, or anything associated with it. They rebel against everything, all rules. And why? Because they feel like they are oppressed by rules. So they want to do their own thing. They can only be happy if they're out going their own thing. And most people go through this phase in life, in high school, college, maybe even later than that. People go, everybody goes through these kind of phases. And they think that if everybody's like them, the world will be okay. If everybody's just trying to be happy, then everybody will be okay. If everybody's doing what they want to do, then the world will be better. Instead of coming to church and hearing preach or going home and following all your parents' rules. If they go and do their own thing, this is where they find happiness. Because true happiness is found in wealth. True happiness is found in power. And true happiness is found in things, according to the younger son. And don't get me wrong, this younger son obviously was having a good time. He had a lot of money. He had all the women he wanted. He had all the things that he wanted. He was having a good time. But then something bad happened. This, this famine comes in and ruins his good time. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't have anything anymore. He's alone. He's by himself. He realizes he's messed up. He's messed up. The servants at his dad's house are living better than he's living. He's messed up. He realizes that he has sinned against, first of all, against God and also against his father. And he realizes that and he repents and turns back to God. And God runs toward him and restores him as his son without him doing anything, just by him repenting, just by him realizing God does all the work for him. See, the, father, the son being restored back to his father was not based on what the son had done, 
but based on what the Father does. In the same way in our salvation, our salvation is not based on what we do, but whether what Jesus did on the cross. So this son has run away from God like we've all done and done absolutely horrendous things, but he's come and he's redeemed, he's restored. The grace of God has come and he is a son again. He has been invited into the feast. It's interesting that in Revelation we hear about a feast that's going to happen. He's invited to this feast with his father forever. Then we have the older son. And being from the south, we have a lot of older sons around us. There are a lot of older sons. There's a lot of religious people. And the older son says, I'm not going to do what I want, but what my parents and tradition and the church and the Bible says, just because I want to get. These are the good people. These good people come in one of two ways. One, you have the woman or man who comes in. And wants everything the way she wants it. If something changes in the church, then he has to come for her, for him or her, for her approval. And if you dress different, if the pastor dresses not like he's supposed to or somebody dresses like he's supposed to, they don't want anything to do with them. It's all about following rules. They have to be this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, this way. They always rule. Never any freedom. And then you have another group of so-called good people, religious people. And these are the people that come to church every Sunday. They read their Bibles every day. They, um, they have every Christian CD that you can ever imagine, even Carmen. They wear Christian t-shirts every day, you know, Tommy Hellfighter, I don't know, whatever. They've seen Fireproof five times. Um, These are the religious people who look great on the outside, and the people that you, when you look at them, you say, now he's a good guy. But really, it's all about the things that they're doing. See, in this view, the world's problem is that people aren't following the rules. People aren't following the rules that God has set forth. We hear this all the time. We don't necessarily hear with rules all the time. But we hear it like, well, if people were just educated, then we wouldn't have the problems we have today. If people simply followed the rules that society has made, then everything would be okay. You know, if people in Africa, you know, wouldn't, would have the education that we have here in America, then there wouldn't be genocide in Africa. Or there wouldn't be poverty. Well, guess what? There's poverty here, and there's a lot of smart people here in America. Everywhere. It, it doesn't work. Rules don't lead to good people. Lead, lead to people that look good on the outside, and inside, they're empty. And what's so scary about this older brother is that he doesn't know that he has a problem. He's oblivious. He thought that he's done all the right things. He said... Everything he's supposed to say. He's obeyed every single command his dad has ever given him. He has never disobeyed God. He has never disobeyed the Father. Nobody in this room can say that they have never disobeyed their Father. This guy had done it. But he still, we see his true side come out when he sees the gospel. See, when religion sees the gospel, it's a fight. They don't go together. They don't mesh. Religion and the gospel do not go together. They collide. And that's what we see when this, when this older brother sees the gospel and his religion, and they collide, and he hates it. He gets angry and runs away. Doesn't want anything to do with his father. So the question today, all this long, long introduction for the, the real point of today, 
The question is, are you simply religious and think you have a relationship with God based on what you do, or have you accepted the restoring grace that God has offers you like the younger brother? Have you realized that you can't do it and it's all about Jesus and what he did? Are you still trying to do it on your own? And I have three differences from religion and the gospel. These are really ways that you can examine yourself and figure out what you're at, where you're at. And I'm preaching to myself, by the way, because I'm an older brother, literally, and I'm an older brother just like this parable. I think I follow the rules. God, I can do this. God, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to stop on my own, and then I just mess up again. I'm an older brother, so believe me, I'm preaching to myself. First, and this is if you want to write this, if you're taking notes, this is what you want to write down. Religion says, if I obey, God will love me. But the gospel says that because God loves me, I will obey. In other words, you feel like, as a religious person, if you do all the right things, then God will love you. But as soon as you mess up, you feel like God doesn't love you anymore. It's like, that relationship looks like this. It looks like a dad coming to his child. And he says to his child, now, son... If you obey me, then maybe one day I'll love you. Maybe one day you'll earn my love. But now if you disobey me, I'm not going to love you anymore. This is what that looks like. That's what religion looks like. It looks just like that relationship. And you can imagine how awful that relationship is because the son is always going to be trying to prove that he's good enough for his father to love him. And his father will love him when he has a great game at baseball or when he does the yard. But as soon as he messes up, he feels like his God doesn't love him, his father doesn't love him more. And the reason this is so much this is around is because this is everywhere in our culture. We have dads like this everywhere. Fortunately, I didn't have a dad like this, but we have dads like this everywhere who don't love their kids just because they're their kids, but make their kids feel like they have to earn their love. And this translates over into our relationship with God. But as Paul says in the book of Romans, it's not our things that drives us to God, that earns our right to God. But it's God's kindness is what leads us to repentance and a changed life. But it's not that we change so that God loves us, but that God loves us so that we change. And, and I'm really learning this right now because all I keep hearing over and over and over again is, Lee, you're going to have to change when you get married. You're going to have to make changes. You know, you're not going to be able to do it. You're, you're just, you just wait, Lee. You're going to have to change a lot. And I really think about it, and, you know, it's like, that's okay. It's okay that I'm going to change. You know why? Because I know that Laura actually loves me. And if I change, that's going to make her happy. It's not because I'm earning her love. She already loves me. I just want to do what's going to make her happy. Because she loves me. And that is a perfect picture of God and his love for us. See, we didn't deserve Jesus. See, these people, these religious people, they think that we deserve Jesus. Jesus came because we deserved it. We did good things. We did enough good things, so Jesus came. Guess what? We're sinful. We messed up. We sinned against a holy, perfect God. We don't deserve Jesus. But rather the other way around, God loves us. Us. And so what did he do? He came to earth. 
He came to get us. Just like the father in the story runs to his son, God ran to us and died on a tree and rose from the dead because he loves you. He loves you more than anything or anyone. And because of that love, he wants you to change. He wants you to live a life that points to him. But again, religion says, I deserve God because I do good things. And I deserve his love. No, you don't. Nobody does. Secondly, religious people see good and bad people. They have lists. A list of good people and a list of bad people. The gospel sees bad people and Jesus. See, religious people always have lists of who's good and who's bad. It can change from church to church, person to person, but they always have lists. Most of the time in the church, it looks like this. The bad people are the people who drink, cuss, and smoke and date people that do. And then the good people are people who come to church, read their Bible, pray, and that kind of thing. There's this line, good and bad people. But see, y'all may know this guy. His name's John. He wrote five books of the New Testament. Disciple of Jesus. The one, the disciple that Jesus loved. He, when he died on the cross, he looked down and saw John and said, John, this is your mother. And he said to his mother, this is your son. He loved John. John was a good guy. John had more faith than probably anybody in this room. John was an amazing man. John was so amazing that the people tried to boil him in a pot like a turkey with oil, and he jumped out, he got out, and lived. And when this happened, people freaked out. People didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do with him. We just pulled, we just put this guy in a pot full of boiling oil, and he's okay. He's a, I mean, he's probably burned up, but he's alive still. He may, what's going on? So they said, we got to get him out of here. There's something about this guy. He's got to get out of here. So they sent him to this island. They sent him to the Isle of Patmos. By himself, and this on this island, this is where he wrote the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, it says he has this vision, and God shows up in this vision. And he says, when God shows up in John's vision, he hits the ground like a dead man. Because he realizes that God is so great, and so good, and so holy, and that he is so sinful, and so ugly. He falls to the ground like a dead man. This great man in the presence of God. Isaiah says, woe is me when God shows up. He thinks he's about to drop dead because he saw God. God is so great. And if, if this man, John, if Isaiah, when they see when God shows up, if this happens. So I'm here to tell you today, there ain't nobody in this room as good as John. Nobody. And that should be our saying. None of us are good. None of us can stand upright in the presence of God. We have all sinned. And those people who drink, cuss, and smoke that we think we call the bad, we know they're bad people, yeah, they might sin in a different way, but guess what? You sin in a different way than them. We're all sinners. We all need Jesus. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life and was the only good person that ever lived so that, one day, so that we had the hope and we have the assurance 
that one day we will stand before the throne of God and Jesus will stand there and right beside us, with us. Because we need him. Because we are sinful people. See, and so if you're walking around and you look at people and you're thinking, that's a good guy, she's a good girl. What is going on with him? Why is he doing that? Why is he at church? What's he doing here? You're making those lists. And first of all, you need to repent of this. And second of all, you don't understand the gospel. Because as Luke says, no one is, or as Jesus says, actually Luke quotes him, no one is good but God. So religion makes lists of good and bad people. The gospel says we're all bad. We all need the only person that ever lived that's been good, and that's Jesus Christ. Huge distinctions. Those don't mesh. Those hit each other. Those fight. There's constant clashes that they can't meld together, religion and the gospel. Third, religion is about getting from God, but the gospel is about getting God. See, religion says if I do these certain things so that God will bless me. I tithe so that God will give me more money. I come to church so God will bless my family and my friends. I teach Sunday school so that my job will keep going good. That's what religion says. But as Pastor Keith said earlier in the first service, he was praying and praying for the tithe. We tithe to show the Lord that he's the Lord of our money. That is his money. We don't tithe in order to get more money. We don't do things to get things. We do things because we get God. Mark Driscoll, a preacher, says that this is not Christianity. Rather, this is paganism. This is saying, this is trying to manipulate God so that he gives you what you want. This is what religion is. See, the gospel says that I may not become rich. I may not be healed when I get sick. My marriage might not be perfect. I might lose my best friend. I might lose a spouse. I might lose everything. And you may say, then why are you a Christian? Because I get God. I get God. If you don't understand that, when bad things happen in your life, when you think you deserve things, when bad things happen... You either have one or two two um, reactions. A, you get angry with God. If you think that you deserve things from God for doing certain things, A, you get angry. You get angry at God. What are you doing, God? Why is this happening to me? Why did I lose my job? Why are my finances all messed up? Why is my marriage messed up? What's going on in my life? What are you doing, God? I went to church. I read my Bible. I prayed for an hour last night. What are you doing? I don't deserve this. You get angry with God. You feel like God is unfair. That you've done the work. It feels like a job. You've done the work, so you deserve the pay. It's exactly what religion looks like. And when you don't get that pay, you get angry. And you want to know what's going on. And when you get angry with God, what happens here? Is that you see God's you think God's unfair, and so what do you do? You run away from God. When somebody don't pay you at a job, what do you do? You go find another job. 
second thing it leads to. It leads to despair. Instead of asking, you know, why are you doing this, God? You say, what do I need to do, God? What do I need to do so that my family problems get better? What do I need to do so that my finances get better? What do I need to do with this? And then you start doing things. You start giving more money in your tithe because you think God's going to give you more money if you tithe more. You start teaching another Sunday school class because you think Sunday school class is going to help you. You start doing things, and you get so busy. You start doing so many things. You're doing more and more and more and more things. And so what happens? You get burnt out. You get burnt out. You hit despair. I can't do anymore, God. I, I've done all that I can. What do you want me to do? What he wants you to do is to realize you don't have to do anything. You just need to run to the foot of the cross and say, God, take, fulfill your promise. So religion, at least you run in front, you get this despair and you give up on the whole God thing. The gospel believers say that when bad things happen or when things are hard in your life, again, that is okay because you get God. You have God. You have his promises, you have his love, you have his grace, you have his mercy. You have God. This, this, this extends even, even to eternal things. This is kind of rambling. We, we think that when we walk an aisle, or that when we say a prayer, that we deserve to go to heaven. Not that it's a gift. When we have this mentality that we deserve to go to heaven, we forget that we're here on earth. You see, this mentality, it leads us to go into our rooms and we get in a safe place. Because we're waiting on going, we're waiting to go to, we're waiting on this, what we deserve going to heaven. We don't realize that God wants us to do something here and now. God is calling you to do here and now. You have seen God's grace. You have seen the mercy that he has shown you. Now go and do something. Don't go in your room and hide from all the bad people. Go and share the gospel with the bad people. They need Jesus just like you do. Because eternity begins now with God. God loves everybody. God loves his creation. He wants to restore everything. And he will restore everything. So start now. Sorry, I don't know if that made sense. But. And lastly, kind of conclusion. So we have these two brothers. The younger brother, you're either one or the other, really. Either you are a younger brother right now, you're running from God, you're doing your own thing, don't want anything to do with God. Or you're an older brother, and you follow all the rules, you do all the things that you're supposed to do. When things get hard, it feels like God's left you. It feels like he's not there. Or maybe you, you were once a younger brother and now you have a relationship with God and now you're an older brother. See, there's no, there's no in-between. We're all doing this and I'm definitely an older brother. So if you're a younger brother, are you running away from the Father? Are you running away from God, His authority to find your own happiness? Because newsflash, there is no happiness apart from God. There isn't. There's happiness for a time, yes. But what you get with God, you get joy eternal joy see only God can give eternal thanks because he is eternal see if you're this younger brother God is waiting on you 
at the porch. He's waiting on you to realize where you're at. And he's ready for you to realize that you need him. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to come and get you and restore you. He's going to say, yes, you once were lost, son or daughter. But now you are my son or daughter again. Not because you earned it, because you sure didn't earn it. But because he loves you more than anything. And for those of here who are pretty sure they're older brothers, I have a question. Or actually for everybody, I have a question. And just the first thing that pops in your mind when I ask this question. What makes you a Christian? Okay? Everybody has the first thing that pops in their mind. Is that you walked an aisle one day when you were five? Maybe you joined the church and got baptized. Or maybe you teach a Sunday school class. Or maybe your dad was a preacher. Is that the first thing that pops into your head? Because if it is, we have a problem. Because what makes you a Christian, what makes you right with God, is not these things, but it's Jesus Christ. See, God loves you so much that he sent his only son to earth. His only son, he came to earth and he died on a cross for you, for me, and for everybody. And he rose from the dead. And he's saying, come home. Come home, it's free. You don't have to work anymore. You don't have to work. It's all grace. You can come to me. Because again, when you stand before the judgment seat of God... You are not going to have the stuff that you did in your hands. The only thing that God the Father is going to want to see is Jesus Christ. Because that's all we have. That is all that we have. Because we are bad people in need of Jesus. The only good person. Again, if you have either of these attitudes, the Father is waiting to restore you. He's ready to pour out His restoring grace on you. And make you a son or daughter of God. And I'm going to read some scriptures from Ephesians 2. And on either side of the crosses, there are people there who are waiting to talk to you. They're wanting to talk to you. They want to share the gospel with you. They want you to break free from your religion, of your rules, and be set free by the grace of Jesus Christ. So when I'm done reading these verses, people are there go there. They're going to share the gospel. They're going to share the good news. They're going to set you free. Well, Jesus is going to set you free, but they're going to help you get there. So just bow your heads and close your eyes and listen to these verses from Ephesians 2 and examine your life. See, are you an older brother? Do you need Jesus' grace? Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that has now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we are all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk with him. And there are men and women sitting by either of these crosses, and they're waiting to share this good news with you. They're ready to, ready to share God's grace with you and restore you, set you free from the pain, the pain of religion, the despair of religion. They're there to share you God's with you God's grace. So if you feel like you're just tired of working, you're so tired, Jesus is there to lift the burden. If you're angry with God, Jesus is there to tell you that he loves you. Just go to the cross and you will find God's love there. Thank you, Lee, for sharing God's word with us this morning. This gospel of grace that Lee has passionately proclaimed this morning is for us. Let's go a little deeper. It's for you. It's for us individually, that great gift called grace. In this series, I started off with saving and sustaining grace, healing grace, last weekend, liberating grace, and today, amazing grace that does what? Restores. And next weekend, we'll conclude this series with a thing called Offering Grace. How how do we best express grace to other people? How many of you like to be recipients of grace? Oh, yeah, man, bring it on. But I don't know about expressing it, giving it. So next weekend, y'all to bring a friend. We're going to conclude this. And I'm so thankful for Lee and his ability and his heart to communicate love of Christ and the word. And Lee, we just continue to pray for you, brother, as uh, you take a wife. Wow, that sounds weird. It's like just yesterday, you were here like, Lee, stop, and uh, now you're going to take a wife. It's kind of fun, isn't it, Jimmy? Yeah. Yeah, I know you and mom are really proud. And I just believe that your granddaddy looks from the portal of heaven and he says, that's my boy. That's awesome. Well, it's been great to be in the house of God, Connecting Point, Wednesday night. Let me tell you, if you've never been to a Wednesday night, dinner, service, worship, communion, small group, y'all to come. And uh, man, we're just glad that you chose today. I'm so glad it's not raining today. How about you? That's right. And let's, uh, but I am grateful we had rain. Hey, thanks for being here. Oh, I almost forgot. These guys are about to have coronaries. I need big, burly men to do what Jimmy's doing up against the wall. We need to take all the chairs and put them up against the wall so we can reset the living room. Six chair, uh, six chair high. You big burly men, I'm not going to call you out. If you know who you are, Mike and others, we want you to go and help us get the chairs. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for being here.